We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to our regular listeners and hello to all of you newbies. Where have you been? I'm Danny Houston and my partner in crime is Laura Souter. Hi, Laura. Hi, Danny. Hi, everyone. So this week, we are digging into the world of financial influencers. So there's loads of TikTokers, Instagram accounts, and YouTube channels full of tips about personal finance and investing. But not all the content out there is that trustworthy or reliable. No, there are plenty of scams alongside the myriad of accounts like ours, AJ Bell Money Matters, which aim to provide educational content to help women like you on your personal finance journeys. Now, do make sure that you check out our brand new website. It has got a new home. Put ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk into your browser. We've got a fantastic new colour. It is still pink, but it's a fantastic looking pink. It's got all of our podcasts, all of our articles, and really importantly, an opportunity for you to sign up to our newsletter to become part of our community. Yeah, definitely. And keep an eye. We've got lots of exciting stuff coming up in the next few months. So if you sign up to that newsletter, then you'll be first to hear about all of the fun things that we've got going on. But social media has had a huge impact on investors, particularly younger first time investors. So I've been chatting with Ellie Austin Williams, who is a founder of This Girl Talks Money. She's an author and a podcaster about the good, the bad and how to navigate social media and investing. Yeah, before we hear from Ellie, we thought that the one big thing that we talk about this week is something that you are likely to have heard quite a bit about, especially over the last couple of weeks, but you might not really understand what it is or why it matters. And that is the triple lock. Which, as always with these finance things, it's a weird bit of terminology that then requires some explaining, but it (laughs) relates to the state pension. So it was first introduced back in 2010, and it aims to make sure that the state pension doesn't lose value over time. So it guarantees that it will increase each year by three, one of three different measures, hence the triple in the triple lock. So it will either increase by two and a half percent or whatever the inflation number is in the September of the previous year, or the average earnings growth as it's reported in the three months to July in the previous year. And so it will increase by the largest of those three. It is complicated and it's also pretty controversial because on the one hand, it, it really did do the job that it was brought in to do, that's to lift a whole load of pensioners out of poverty, out of needing extra top-ups. But with the state of economy over the last few years in the situation that it has been in, it has also been a pretty expensive move. And in fact, when Rishi Sunak was Chancellor, he decided that he couldn't afford to stick with it. So when pensions rose in 2022, they actually rose by less than the earnings, which was the big figure from the previous year. But last year, the triple lock was back. Pensions rose by a whopping 
0.1%. And the reason that we're talking about this right now is because we're almost at that crucial point where next year's pension increase is decided. And it's looking like another big hike, more than 7% at the way things are stacking up at the moment. And this time, Rishi Sunak has said that his government will honour the lock. So that means another big increase in cash for pensioners. So as it stands, it looks like it's the earnings figure of those three different figures, which will be the highest. And if it stays the same for the next reading as it has at the moment, that means that the new state pension will go up to around £220 a week. So that takes it to almost £11,500 a year. So obviously, that comes at a cost to the taxpayer. But there is also a big female angle to this as well, which is why we're talking about it particularly. We know that women are much more likely to be entirely reliant on the state pension and not have any private pension savings. Our previous research has found that more than 60% of women weren't putting money into a private pension. So it means that a lot of women are entirely reliant on what the state pension is. So any increase is good for them. And you've got to think about how the state pension, that 220 quid a week, how that compares to your weekly salary at the moment when you're doing your sums about whether or not you need to invest in your pension. And spoiler alert, we're going to say a few things coming up that suggests you really, really, really should if you are not. So what would your life look like today if 220 quid a week was all that was coming in. There's quite a clever sum, quite a clever way to think about what you should aim for, because I think most of us hope that by the time we retire, we will have paid off our mortgage or hopefully won't have any rental costs. So we won't have those housing costs. But the idea is you need to think about what you're earning and figure then you need about 70% of that to have the same standard of living. And I think we all want to be able to have that kind of same standard of living or or maybe, you know, a bit more so we can enjoy holidays and things. I know you like the holidays, Laura. 100%. Um, So hopefully your private pensions will kind of add up on top of the state pension and it will take you up to that level that you need. But increasingly, there are questions being asked about whether the country can keep affording to pay the state pension at the level that it currently stands. Yeah, last year, pension costs increased by £6 billion to take it to £110 billion. And the Office for Budget Responsibility expects that that will have ballooned to at least £133 billion by 2027, um, if not sooner. Um, And I stress at least because the extra pressure of next year's hikes off the top of this year's hikes are going to be huge. And let's try and put that in a bit of context, because the Times newspaper actually did a nifty bit of analysis that uh, showed that in just a couple of years, the state pension will cost the country the same as the day to day budgets for the Department of Education, the Home Office and the Ministry of Defence combined. I mean, that is huge. 
That is massive. And that is why there are lots of people claiming that the state pension and the triple lock are unsustainable, particularly because people are living longer. So they're going to be claiming that state pension for longer, which obviously comes at a cost to the taxpayer. The government's already increased the age at which you can start claiming the state pension, though, and another review is going to be likely. Another option out there is that you could raise the number of years that people have to make national insurance contributions for in order to qualify. So essentially, making it so that people have to work for an additional number of years before they qualify for the full state pension. But these are all kind of options on the table. Nothing is being confirmed. And, you know, with borrowing costs at the moment for the government shooting up because a lot of the index linked gilts, and we've spoken a lot about rates going up, the need to make cuts is becoming more and more apparent. And there are rumours now about the potential for benefit cuts. Remember, of course, they went up by 10.1%, the same amount as the state pension went up last year. And backing away from the triple lock is really considered to be politically dicey because particularly for the Conservatives, they have a huge number of older voters. But for younger generations, big pension increases probably seem rather unfair, particularly when you start to think about other allowances and the personal tax allowance is the big one because that's remaining frozen. So all of this is coming with the backdrop of an election looming. And that is probably something that we're going to mention quite a bit and that because it's going to influence a lot of government moves in the short term. So as Danny mentioned, any move to scrap the triple lock would be hugely unpopular with all of those voters who are either claiming it or about to claim it. And we know that they're a really influential group of voters that any government wants to keep on side. But with the falling birth rate that we're increasingly seeing, we had new figures out last week on that, we're going to have a smaller group of working people paying the big bills for the state pension for old generations. So I don't envy the government in trying to balance that while also not alienate a huge swathe of the population. (laughs) And do let us know what you think, because there's also quite a bit of conversation at the moment going on from younger people believing that the state pension will not be around in the same form as it is when they retire. So what do you think? Do you think it'll still be around? Have you considered how you'll pay for your retirement if it becomes less generous? As always, you can message us on social media. We're at AJ Bell Money Matters on Twitter slash X, no idea what we're meant to be calling it, and on Instagram, or you can sign up to our newsletter via that new website, which is ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk. I always fall over that now when I'm talking about Twitter. I always want to call it Twitter, and I know that it's X, and I know that when I look on my phone to find Twitter, the little bird isn't there anymore, but it just throws me (laughs) all the time. But social media, it it moves on quite quickly, doesn't it? And that's what we're talking about now, because it also has a huge impact on investors. We know from the regulator, the FCA's latest research, that half of first-time young investors use social media to research investing, to find opportunities, or keep up to date with investments. Now, to talk about the good and bad of social media, Laura chatted to Ellie Austin-Williams, who is founder of This Girl Talks Money and a finance coach, author, 
and podcaster. Alongside building a community of 35,000 financially empowered women, she's also the author of Money Talks, a lifestyle guide to financial well-being, which is out in January next year. Here's what she had to say. So lots of people use social media as their main source of information, particularly younger people. So can you just talk about some of the positives first of that boom in social media money content? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, access to information now is at a level that it never has been before. And for so long, particularly money around finances, managing your money, budgeting, all sorts was really, I guess, gatekept by a a group of people that worked in the industry or people that had access to books but even then the books were quite advanced and quite full of jargon and really people relied on those that they knew to be able to learn and you know as we all know advice that comes from our parents or our neighbors or you know our friends isn't always that helpful or reliable it's a lot of the time based on their experiences whereas now it's much more easy to gain access to education, to information, to helpful tips, and to be able to find information that's relevant to you as well, especially in your circumstances. Yeah, I think that's so true, that kind of democratization of information and advice for people. And we know that some of these social media money trends can be so powerful. So I remember earlier this year, the post office came out and said that there was a massive increase in people withdrawing cash thanks to a social media trend called cash stuffing, which is kind of cash budgeting, basically, yeah. only spending through cash. Have you got any other examples of where social media has actually like really taken over in the money world? I think one of the big areas that I've seen it happen is around conversations, to be honest. So opening up conversations around spending trends and things that had kind of become normal. So, for example, um, the amount of money that it costs often to go on a Hindu, for example. I think for a long time, those types of issues were something that a lot of people experienced but weren't really talking about and just kind of absorbed privately and often struggled with but there was no space to discuss it there was no real consensus as to you know what's reasonable what's unreasonable you know should I push back or should I have some boundaries around these costs whereas I've seen a real shift in in the conversation around topics like that which are relevant to so many people and just people being able to actually discuss and come up with different ideas and solutions and to help each other with ways to navigate these these different questions and you know it happens around other big events so things like weddings things like gifting presents um, even conversations like who pays on the date which I think for so long have been quite uncomfortable topics that people have been trying to navigate and deal with but now actually they have got a much broader group of people to discuss these topics with and to really explore how they feel about them. And presumably the cost of living crisis, I mean, that's made kind of money news, front page news. Presumably that's accelerated that trend a bit. I mean, even in the example of people are way more likely to talk about their mortgage and when their mortgage date is up or how much their rent's gone up by at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we've had a a wild few years in terms of, the economy and finances, you know, first the pandemic, which saw a lot of people thrown into a situation where they they were on furlough or their 
working options were significantly changed both for the better and for the worse and then we've come out into this cost of living crisis and now we're we're seeing the interest rates rising and it's it's really front of mind for a lot of people no, I think we're going to get onto it. I know, but I think there are two sides to the to the coin um, in terms of the positives and the negatives. I do think that the amount of conversation around some of these issues can cause more anxiety than is necessary. Um, and I think you know the, there is a responsibility maybe that the media should have around a little bit of that. Um, but actually, one of the benefits of social media is that people can, again, take that panic sometimes and discuss it and digest it and actually get more context around the headlines that they maybe see and realise that what they thought was a really scary situation maybe isn't as bad as they thought in some in some cases. And when we think about investing particularly, I mean, there's a whole pocket of social media that now is just kind of first-time investor tips or helping first-timers to get to grips with investing. Do you think that that's a, a good thing, that there's that boom in information? I do. I think, you know, with a caveat, there is definitely a huge space for it. You know, we know that there is a giant advice gap when it comes to managing money, and particularly when it comes to investing and planning for the future. And the ability of people to be able to understand these basic concepts of investment without having to go and pay somebody to do that. Because, you know, we know the vast majority of people don't have the money to go and pay a professional who will earn money like by commission. They don't have that those funds behind them to be able to go and, and pay that professional. So they want to learn, they want to be able to invest and to make better financial decisions for their future, but they need to be able to do it themselves. And I do think that the kind of boom, again, the democratisation in investment education is really positive. I think inevitably the the challenge is where you draw the line between there being education and it being helpful and then being advice and telling people what to do which is is a is a murky world and I think you know it's the case with not just finance but so many different areas of our lives when it comes to social media where there is a way for information to be pumped out and people often you know are trying to get views are trying to get as many eyes as possible on their content and so it leaves a space for people to overstep the mark and like I said you know I don't think this is exclusive to finance I think you know we see it in things like health and fitness where people are saying follow my plan and you'll look like me um it's the same it's dangerous when it goes into that territory because you don't know somebody's individual circumstances you don't know what they're dealing with and also you know everybody's resources are going to be different everybody's genetics are going to be different um and I think that's where it gets into that gray area and I think also what's probably quite hard if you're coming to investing for the first time and you're using social media as one of your main sources of information, which we know that lots of young investors do, how do you know how reputable the source is or how reliable the information is? Because some of these, I mean, some of the really popular money influencers have no training, have no formal kind of background in finance. It's all self-taught. Um, so how do you kind of work out who's reliable, who's good to to watch and take information from and, and who should be avoided? Well, I think, you know, the kind of starting point, and I think you made a really good point there, but the the reality is that whether you have got 20, 30, 40 years of training behind you or not, 
what you should be able to put out in terms of general advice is the same as somebody that's self-taught. Nobody should be giving financial advice to individuals over the internet because that's why there's regulation. That's why financial advisors have to go through a get-to-know-their-client process. So whether somebody is claiming that they've got all of the, you know, accolades and they've got all the qualifications or not when it comes to the reliability of the information that they're putting out on the internet then they shouldn't be saying any more than you know your friend that's learned learned everything themselves you know there obviously is an element of knowing how the markets work knowing how investing works um but that is all stuff that actually you could go and buy a book and learn. There, there shouldn't be information being put out onto the internet that is specific to anybody's individual circumstances. And so for me, that's where the red red flag should start kicking in and where the alarm bell should start ringing is if somebody's saying, this is exactly what you should do, whoever they are, they that's, that's crossing that line. Um, really, it should be education. There shouldn't be advice on social media um and i think that's one of the the challenges is that i think a lot of people are looking for advice they're looking to be told what to do but they they shouldn't be able to do that and if you're finding people that are telling you that that is that's questionable that's where you should be okay asking yourself should i be listening to this should i actually be relying on this because whoever this person is they should not be doing that in their professional capacity so I think shifting people's perspective from social media being a place where you get all the answers to being somewhere where you get that basic level of education and understanding, and then you have to go away and fill in the gaps yourself, or you go away and pay somebody on a one-to-one basis to tell you personally what to do is really where we need to go. Um, But it is hard because like I said, a lot of people want to get the answers in you know a 30 second video yeah and I think that's the kind of shortcut route you're right that people are are looking for and they just want to be told what to do it almost saves some of the hassle and the, the hard work yourself if you just follow that but you're right that that is a big red flag I think another thing that's interesting is not necessarily people that aren't you know reputable or reliable but trends that don't necessarily translate into different countries so I saw something um, I think it was earlier this year there was this big trend for overpaying your student loan um, but actually it was a trend that originated in the US and we know that the student loan system there is very different um, but lots of people in the UK were jumping on this bandwagon and thinking it was a great idea and actually for lots of people in the UK it wouldn't make sense and so is there kind of a cautionary tale in that do you think where there could be some damaging trends not even from people that are setting out to to you know scam you from money or, or that dark side of it yeah absolutely I think you know one of the things about money particularly is that the systems in different countries are so different and especially when it comes to like you say loans investing retirement particularly then there is a big difference in the systems between the UK and the US whereas on social media a lot of the content around money is dominated by the US and so I think there is a real maybe gap in knowledge from a lot of the consumers of this content that there is this difference and I do think that there could be more done by creators generally particularly in the US to say you know this is US based content this is the system although I understand you know they are making it for US audience so it's also a responsibility on the content consumer 
to think, okay, actually, this person isn't living in the same system as me. So maybe I should go and do a little bit more research. Um, And it's actually one of the things that got me into this space in the first place was how much content there was focused on the US around this, but how little there was focused on the UK. And there really is this, this shift, you know, when we're talking about things like budgeting, then it doesn't matter, you've got a concept, and you can translate it really straightforward. But when you're talking about particular systems, then there does need to be that adaption and that understanding of how it works in your country. And yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a cautionary tale not to act too quickly and to do your own research. Even if you see something that sounds like it's a good idea, that it sounds like it might help you long term, don't take that as a given. Go away, do a little bit more interrogation, do a little bit more reading, speak to some people about it, and then decide whether to take that action rather than it being an instant, okay, I've seen it on TikTok, I'm going to go and do that. Yeah, exactly. Can you think of any other kind of social media trends that have been potentially damaging for one reason or another? Well, I mean, I think the, the obvious one that comes to mind is, is crypto investment. Um, the fact that, you know, we went through a phase where cryptocurrencies were going up and up in value and people were jumping on it. And, you know, I think people still, to a degree, are putting a lot of trust in cryptocurrencies and NFTs as well was another one where I think pretty much universally now people have acknowledged that the value is basically nothing and yet people were spending a huge amount of money on on a trend that they'd seen online and I don't think even necessarily asking themselves whether it was a good financial decision I think maybe just getting swept up in the hype and the excitement and the potential um and yeah then realizing a few months later that not only did they not really know what they were getting themselves into but they'd lost a significant amount of money and you know we don't know where cryptocurrency is going to go ultimately and I think there is a chance that there is a space for it but what we have seen is that it is extremely extremely volatile still and that you know for beginner investors it's not at all a, a safe place to invest your money there are much more tried and tested reliable places to invest and it's not this get rich quick scheme that I think it was often talked about as online and I think we also that kind of taps into a whole other darker area of social media which is the scamming side of things and I say that because a lot of the scams originate as you know cryptocurrency or nft opportunities where people actually are just scammers and they defraud people of their money so I thought it'd be useful to go through what are some of the red flags that people who are using social media for information on on money and finance stuff what are some of the red flags that they should look out for to avoid scam scammers Absolutely. I think, you know, this is a real scary area. And it's something that I, you know, hope the social media companies are still going to do more to do to crack down on and they're not doing enough yet. But I think really being asked for money, um, that is the number one red flag is if somebody is asking you to send them money to transfer money, however good the opportunity sounds, then to me, that's a major red flag. You know, anybody that you're buying a service from or a product from, there should be a a portal, a payment mechanism, somebody that you recognize, like, you know, your PayPal's, your uh, Stripe's, like there should be a 
trail that you go through where you can record that transaction. So there's evidence that it's happened and that you've been through it and where your money's going. And you should be paying it to a known individual or to a company most of the time. Whereas a lot of the time with these scams, they will send you some bank account details or a link and they'll say, send this money and I'll invest it for you and it'll turn into X amount. Anything like that to me is is a red flag. Also, people that are just approaching you out of the blue. So if you're getting messages into your inbox from somebody that you've never spoken to, that you've not reached out to, to ask about a service or, or a product, if somebody's cold messaging you, that is also a red flag. If they're just jumping into your inbox and saying, I've got an opportunity for you, then I would always, always be extremely cautious about that. Um, and don't be afraid to to block those accounts or to report those accounts because that's ultimately the way that they will get taken down. I think there's also, you know, a, a sad element to that. Of It could also be people you know, so not just people out of the blue, but people you know who are have been caught by a scammer and genuinely believe that that what they're doing is good and that they're making a decent return on their money or just where their account's been, been taken over as well. It's, yeah. You have to have a lot of caution, don't you, when you're when you're dealing with people on social media? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are ways that you can try and verify who somebody is. You know, there are accounts um, or ways that you can, you know, check now, like verification. But even then, there are ways, like you say, that people get around it and people's accounts get hacked. And so I would always say to people, double check, like, ask questions back. If you're on the fence, if you're not sure who you're talking to, ask questions back because a lot of the time these scammers won't have the answers to the questions that you're asking. So, you know, interrogate them a little bit. If you're not sure if they're who they say they are, then that's the best thing to do. But also with social media, double check the account name that it's coming from because one thing that's happened a lot is that people will clone accounts, but they'll change one letter in the name, in the username. So I've had this happen a lot where people will add a like a, a figure or they'll add an underscore or something. And to the naked eye, you don't notice it necessarily, but it's not me, it's a scammer. And so just being extra cautious, especially, like I said, if an account is messaging you out of the blue, you've not spoken to someone before, then, and, and if you think that there may be our two accounts, then message both of them and check because I will always for example, reply and be like, no, that's definitely not me, like block them, report them. Um, And most people I know will do that as well. So it really is just about having your wits about you being extra cautious whenever money's involved. um, And, and not, yeah, if something sounds like it's too good to be true, it normally is. And so I think we've kind of acknowledged there's so much positives that, that, that can come out of social media as well. But ultimately, much of the aim of social media is to sell people things. If we think outside of the kind of financial realm, it's influencers trying to flog products, um, giving you a discount code so that you'll buy more of a certain thing. Um, so do we have to be wary of putting too much reliance on social media when it comes to our money? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think... There, there are two sides to this one. I think, of course, there is an element that is commercial to social media. And, you know, both creators and brands are on there to promote. And I mean, a lot of creators are there to educate, but also to help brands to promote themselves. But 
I think you have to think about it in a similar way to traditional advertising, whereas you'd have previously walked around and you'd have seen leaflets or flyers or banners and, you know, in your magazine, you've seen adverts for for banks or products there. Social media is a modern version of that. It is a shop window, but you also get some of the benefits like the, the education as well. But you do need to have that, that, you know, one eye on the fact that you are often being talked to as a consumer. Um, I think the other side to it is that yes, it is very easy to overconsume and to get yourself drawn into buying more things than you need. I do actually think when it comes to money, then we tend to actually take longer to make decisions around financial products anyway than we do with things like fashion and homeware. So it is a harder sell. Um, and I do think that's a, a positive thing. I think, you know, financial services companies have to work harder to build trust with their potential customers. Um, it's not as easy to just acquire a customer from a social media advert. Um I think, you know, there are risks, there are dangers, but thankfully, I think in the financial space, when it comes to advertising, um, there are a lot of safeguards as well. So, you know, adverts should have a lot of disclosures on there, a lot of warnings, particularly if it's an investment product. Um, If they're not, then somebody's not following the rules. Um, So there should be a lot to protect the consumer. And actually, I think the the benefits of the access to that more information that we can get from social media outweigh the potential risks in a lot of cases. Um, but then it's it's easy for me to say because I'm looking at it from like a responsible person's perspective, um, whereas I am aware that that's not the approach that everybody takes. So that was Ellie Austin Williams, founder of This Girl Talks Money. And as Danny said earlier, her book, Money Talks, A Lifestyle Guide to Financial Wellbeing, is out in January next year. Now for my favourite bit of the podcast, The Confessional. And Ellie's was really interesting, I think. Oh, gosh, what a question. Um, I think my biggest mistake long term was lending money to somebody um, with a lot of naivety Um, money that I lent in good faith and feeling as though it was the right thing to do but without any real conversation around when I would get it back on what terms I would get it back and ultimately I never did get it back so that was a real learning curve and I often, when I talk about this, you know, the message I don't think, or for me at least, the takeaway isn't don't ever lend anybody money, but it's be careful about the circumstances and I guess the conditions on which you do that and protect yourself if you are going to do that, which I definitely didn't do and ultimately had to just walk away from the the money. And we're talking kind of four figures of money, which uh, in my mid twenties was quite a lot of money. but it got to a situation where I just had to cut my losses and and leave it behind. So I think the main message, hopefully, to anybody is, is communicate about money. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good one um, and, and not one we've had before. But I think particularly relevant at the moment, considering the cost of living crisis and we know more people are lending kind of friends and family money. It's to be really clear at the outset, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, 
I think it can be a great thing to be able to do if you're in a position to be able to help people, but you've got to, yeah, keep one eye on looking after your own situation as well as looking after somebody else. So difficult, particularly when friends and family come to you and they're desperate. And we know with cost of living pressures that it's so hard for a lot of people. But if you have lent money to friends and family and they don't pay you back, that that can lead to huge rifts. Um, And yeah, I, I think it's really, really tricky. That is all we've got for this episode of Money Matters. So next time we have something a little bit special ahead of the launch of some brand new research. We've been talking to a woman who has had a heck of a career. She's been on Strictly Come Dancing, out in the celeb jungle and cooked up a storm on MasterChef. And she's been speaking honestly about the high and low points of her life, including fighting her way through the menopause and coming out the other side. We will also have details of an in-person event that we're hosting in Leeds on World Menopause Day in October. So make sure you tune in, sign up to the newsletter because then you find out all the details of our in-person events, what's coming up and get access to all those really useful articles. And of course, tell everyone you know to do the same. Thanks for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.